back in episode number six of Tranchav and today we're joined by Holger Bayer from Alentra. Hi Holger, welcome to Tranchav. Hi Rui, hi Leanne, how are you doing? Hey Holger. All good, very excited that you're on. Um, so before we start off, can you please give us a quick overview of Alentra and your role in it? Uh, <clears throat> yeah sure, so first of all thank you for having me on, uh, very exciting. Um, Alentra is a, a boutique investment bank uh, listed in Madrid and we have three main pillars of business activities. It's corporate finance, asset management, and uh, the part I fit into is credit and banking advisory. Uh, and within credit and banking advisory, we set up a securitization team about 18 months ago with some old hands and uh, uh, gray hair uh, people, such <laughs> as Francesco Di Sera, Jim Fidel, Robin Michaels. Uh, but, uh, but all in, we've got about 17 people now. And um, with that team, we're relatively new, but we've focused on synthetic securitization, obviously the topic for your podcast series. We do a lot of NPL securitization, quite natural for Alantra given its, uh, its, its background and history, and also spend quite a lot of time with uh, non-bank financial institutions and neobanks helping them fund portfolios through securitization and, um, and similar, uh, similar type of transactions. So within that, I'm kind of the synthetics guy, but uh, there are quite a few others who know at least as much as I do, if not more. And, uh, and between us, we've been able to do four deals in the last 12 months. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's us. Okay, that sounds great. Four deals in the yeah, last month. Congratulations, months. that's impressive. Quite promising. Um, so, in your credit and in your credit and banking advisory role, uh, do you come across? Is it right that you come across first-time issuers very often? Um, <clears throat> so we, um, I think that's one of our strengths. Uh, the way we set up uh, is we um, we can bring a lot of people and large teams to these transactions. And for first time issues, of course, you know, the, the process is more daunting, more intensive, more resource consuming, because you do everything for the first time and you need to develop quite a bit of content. And so, you know, for us, that's a natural um, group of target clients. And, uh, and yes, that's, uh, that, that, that's, where we, that's where we try to play. Okay, so I think you're probably then in a unique position to actually give us a bit more insight into what first-time issuers should be aware of. So perhaps we can talk about that for a bit. Um, sure. Um, so just to state the obvious for everyone in this audience, um, when you do a synthetic securitization, you are selling deeply subordinated risk in a portfolio. And investors are taking at the money risk and you know, you need to get them comfortable with that. And, uh, and that requires a lot of data, it requires a lot of information, it requires a large degree of transparency and openness. Um, and uh, for most first time issuers, that is new. Um, you know, if you've done funding ABS before, then the level of disclosure is considerably less. So what does that include? It includes 
you know the obvious uh, the obvious uh, details around the bank and its its position in the market in the assets that you try to securitize its strategy but also and this is where you start peeling the onion you need to have very detailed loan by loan data tapes uh, a lot of performance data vintage losses vintage recoveries delinquency data transition matrices underwriting policies procedures uh, internal rating methodology, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and that is quite a lot. And I think what's important for first-time issues to understand is that <clears throat> investors want that information because they want to be competitive and they want to price it competitively uh, in order to win the transaction. And the more information you give them, the easier you make it for them to be, uh, to be competitive and the better your execution and the more transparent you are, uh, the easier it is to build trust and to become a repeat issuer with, uh, with, uh, with the investors over and over again. And um, the key thing in my mind in that is, is preparation. Um, the temptation is always you have a deadline and let's get going to make sure we close the deal in a certain deadline. Uh, but I think that, uh, that that can be a dangerous strategy. And, and the way I often explain this to clients is by talking about uh, or using the analogy of a theater play. A theater play, what is that about? As we all know, typically these deals have three phases, phase one, NBO, phase two, binding offer, and then execution. And you can think of that as a play in three acts. And you invite the audience, the investors in, and before the play starts, they all go to the bar and they have a drink. But I think the important thing is once they're in the bar that you are very clear as to when you raise the curtain. Um, because if they have to be in the bar for too long and have too many gin and tonics, then uh, you lose their attention <laughs> quite quickly. And I think the other thing that's important is um, you should have the play written before you raise the curtain. If you're still writing the script while the actors are on stage, then that's quite dangerous because you don't really want to have a pause in the play. Um, and ideally you have at least act one and two written to the end and rehearsed, uh, rather than, you know, thinking let's start now and we'll fill the gaps later. And yeah, and, and, and clearly also the interval between, uh, between phase, phase one or act one and act two is important. I think the same principle applies if you keep, keep the audience in the bar for too long, they drink too much gin and tonic and you uh -huh. at some point lose their, lose their attention. It's a great analogy. Yeah, I have to that's say. fabulous. Yeah. I really like that whole guts. It's uh, I'm gonna feel really that. good. Yeah, <laughs> completely. It's also really nice to hear you talking about the open and transparency of the market because certainly that's one thing that we we've talked on previous podcasts about how much we really value that. And it really is a unique position, as you say, for this market. And if you can help first time issuers build those relationships with the bank into something that's more long term, then that's clearly a fantastic place for everyone to be in. No, exactly. And, and, and then the second and third and fourth deal become much easier. And I think ultimately that's the aim for all first-time issuers. Nobody does it on a one-off basis. Everybody wants to make it you know, a, a programmatic tool in their kit uh, to give them future flexibility. And, uh, and, and I, think, you know, I think it's important as you know, an actor, as a playwright or as a bank, you know, that the first the first play is successful and that you create a good impression with investors and uh, and investors do reward you for that. Yeah, absolutely. You want that play to be sold out, right? You want a waiting list, um, which is, is obviously exactly. true here too. 
brilliant. Thanks, Holger. So, look, not wanting to do myself out of a job here, but um, what about the legal and the regulatory aspects? Is this something that you also get involved with or do you leave all of that to lawyers? Well, it's largely, well, so legal aspects, of course, is, is largely, the, you know, your expertise and, and that's where lawyers play a very important role. But I think it is important to help also for, for arrangers <coughs> and for us is to help uh, the first time issuers to, to get their heads around these documents. They're not easy documents. And, you know, it does take time to understand them and it does help to break them down and sort of explain what they mean commercially. And the other thing, of course, is that's important. What do they mean operationally? Um, the bank usually ends up being the calculation agent and going forward, it does need to it does need to live and breathe the document and it needs to operate operationalize it. And, uh, and you know, that's that's an area where we're very happy uh, to spend some extra time and help the client to uh, uh, to do that. And what about the reg side, Holger? On the regulatory side, of course, um, the, 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 the key objective is to, in almost all cases, with few exceptions, is to get uh, SRT approval. And, um, <clears throat> and although the regulations are becoming more and more detailed with various RTSs and so on and so forth, and you also have the ECB template, I don't think there really is a manual as to how you can do it that when you do this for the first time, you can just follow the manual. And, and I think to do it by yourself for the first time without experience on your side is, you know, <laughs> means you have, you, have, you, you have a learning experience that I wouldn't wish on anyone because it's, <laughs> it's likely to make the, 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 the process more prolonged and likely to lead to more questions from the regulator than you would otherwise get, and uh, and uh, and makes it a bit more a bit more nervy, uh, arguably. So um, so yeah, I think it's important that uh, that advisors get involved in that, and and I guess the other thing is even with experience, um, the, the regulators um, thinking on some of the aspects also evolves around this and. You know, it's it's uh, useful to have someone by your side who can help you navigate that. One example is that the ECB is recently more focused on correlation risk when you have concentrated portfolios, and to, you know, be able to to provide the the um, the regulator with um, analysis around that topic is probably something many people find helpful. Yeah, that all certainly sounds um, very helpful Quite to useful. me. Yeah. Well, all of that is a really really useful. Uh, introduction, I'll say, because I'm sure there's much more that you can talk about into, into what you do. Now, always my favourite question of the podcast is the personal question that we ask at the end, because it's so nice to get to know a bit more about what you do outside of work. So, Holger, tell us, when you're not uh, very busy helping all these first-time issuers, what do you like doing at the weekends? Um, so, I guess my other main identity or whatever, is uh, I'm a husband and, and I'm a father. I have three teenage boys. And, uh, and you know, that, that means that over the last, the elders are 17, the last 17 years, uh, my weekends have been, have been very busy. I, um, I like team sports and I guess having three boys and liking team sports, that sort of got me dragged into becoming a football coach. With my first, my, with my eldest son, and now on to my second, he's playing under 16s. 
and that takes a, a, a big chunk, uh, takes up a big chunk of the weekend. But it's um, it's it's a enjoyable and 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 it's also you know surprisingly relevant um, to work even. You know, it's amazing how much you can learn from teenagers and team sport coaching that is very relevant to to the to the workplace as well. That's brilliant. And massive shout out to your wife. What an angel having uh, four, four men in the house. I'm sure that's not easy. And uh, lots of dirty football boots by the sound of it as well. Yeah. Well, at least a consistent hobby. Yeah. <laughs> true, yeah, true. They, they, uh, my wife certainly doesn't clean those, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, well, that was, that was really fantastic. Thank you, Holger, again for joining us. Um, so listeners, that's all we have for today. We know summer is coming, but hang around. We'll be back in a few weeks with our new episode. Until then, enjoy the sunshine and you know it, keep tranching.